when people get started and you know you measure your HRV and things look good and the the natural you know follow up is that they tend to maybe go hard every time because the HRV is always good or or things like that which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. That triathlon show 144. Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to another episode of That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and on today's episode I interview Marco Altini who is the founder of HRV for Training, which is an app that is uh, in my opinion simply brilliant for those of you interested in measuring heart rate variability or HRV to help guide your training and your recovery. But first, this episode is sponsored by Precision Hydration. And uh, as you know, Precision Hydration is running a special promo in the month of August. So you can get 20% off any electrolyte products that you buy from there using the promo code TTS20. And that's on precisionhydration.com. Be sure to take your free online sweat test first, because then you can get a personalized hydration strategy Uh, telling you exactly what sort of electrolyte concentration you need to match your individual sweat rate and sweat sodium content. And also big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com. Roka is the premier brand in the world when it comes to triathlon apparel like wetsuits, swimskins, tri-suits, buoyancy shorts, etc., You can find all of these products on roca.com and soon they will also have UK distribution, by the way. But uh, for now, on roca.com, you can buy internationally with no problems whatsoever. And actually, you have the great benefit of getting a 20% discount on your entire order when you use the promo code DATTRIATHLONSHOW, all one word, all caps. All right, so a few more words about my guest Marco Altini. He is a data scientist and uh, a developer mainly working in uh, the fields of uh, sports and health technology. So in addition actually to to having HRV for training, he is also working for a startup called Bloom Life that uh, focuses on helping expecting mothers have a healthy pregnancy. And as an athlete, he is a very passionate runner himself. So he he has a ton of knowledge in uh, the endurance sports world, exercise physiology, and so on. He got his PhD in applied machine learning from Eindhoven University. And uh, he is uh, from Italy originally, but living in the Netherlands. He has published 40 plus papers and has uh, a lot of patents in this field of health and sports technology in the past five years. So he is really a super knowledgeable guy and i really enjoyed talking with him one more thing before jumping into this interview actually two more things we have one previous episode on hrv and if you are not at all familiar with what hrv heart rate variability is and how it works then i recommend actually going back and listening to that episode first that was episode 42 with dan plus so i'll link to that in the episode description and in the show notes that's where we go into from the ground up what HRV really is. And here with Marco, we 
go into some more applications and we don't repeat a lot of things that were already said in that previous episode. So definitely, if you feel that you need to brush up your knowledge of HRV before diving into some uh, some stuff that is uh, not from the ground up, not the 101 in HRV, then go and listen to episode 42 before that. And one more thing, my audio quality in this interview is not the best. It sounds like I forgot to plug my external microphone. So actually, my sound goes right through the laptop built-in microphone, which is obviously not the best thing to do. But uh, it sounds listenable. I think uh, I think it will be okay. So so hopefully you can uh, you can bear with me for the lack of audio quality in this interview. All right, let's jump right into the interview with Marco Altini from HRV for Training. Today's guest on that triathlon show is uh, Marco Altini from HRV for Training. Hi, Marco. How are you? I'm good. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to have you. I've been following HRV for Training first by downloading the app, but then starting to read the content that you have on your website for quite some time. And we also interviewed Dan Plus a year or so ago and gave basically the listeners an introduction to HRV. So that's episode 42 for those listeners that don't know what this is about. Uh, I highly recommend listening to that. And he also is working with you and has used HRE for training a lot. So I'm excited to to talk to you and uh, get into some some topics that we have planned for today. And let's just start with what are the main practical applications of HRV and HRE for training in, in particular? So I would say that as... HRV reflects physiological stress on the body, you can use it in different ways. Um, stress is a result of pretty much any factor that is part of our lives. Uh, and so the ability of assessing, you know, to assess stress objectively um, can, help, can help us making smaller or even larger adjustments towards uh, improved performance in the context of athletes. But in general, I would say even just trying to get a more balanced lifestyle. The reason why, you know, HRV is used so much in the context of training, typically, in my opinion, is pretty simple, which is that the stressor training can be easily quantified. Um, you know, it's one of the larger stressors that we face, uh, you know, especially for athletes. But I would say even for recreational athletes, Training is one of the major stressors um, that, that you can apply on the body. And therefore, it's easier to see this uh, feedback loop between training, recovery, measuring HRV as a way to quantify recovery, and then uh, use that information during planning or to adjust trainings, which is uh, a bit more obvious than for applications other than training where still HRV is able to reflect um, physiological stress on the body, which again is relevant to pretty much anything we do because it all affects the autonomic nervous system. And and how do we do this uh, adjustment of training or training planning in general uh, with HRV as one of the inputs in in practice? Like maybe maybe it's easiest to illustrate with with an example. You can do that if you like, but but trying to get really practical here. Yeah, well, um, so what I say is always. The first thing is to have a good training plan. You know, like HRV is no replacement for your training plan. I think that's important. It's often a bit of a misconception um, when people get started and, you know, you measure your HRV and things look good and 
the the natural you know follow up is that they tend to maybe go hard every time because the HRV is always good or or things like that, which is the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Um, so in, in in my opinion, I would say our opinion, it's best to you know have a good training plan, possibly polarized training plan. You know, do a lot of low intensity training and then use HRV to make that training plan even more individualized to yourself because obviously we all respond differently even if you work with a coach and your training plan is tailored to your abilities and even your lifestyle and the other things you have to do still uh, if you do not measure HRV you lack this objective feedback of how you are responding to a specific workout a specific training phase then you can use this information in different ways. For example, you can look at uh, day-to-day variations, acute changes. There is research showing, for example, that uh, high-intensity workouts should be planned uh, when HRV is, uh, let's say, training well, or certainly not when HRV is particularly low with respect to your normal values. So that's a you know simple, actionable insight. When you get to see your data, then if you add an intense workout and it doesn't look good you can just postpone that one day or make these small adjustments and i would say that that's an easy way to start using it looking at this day-to-day variability so so to sum up a little bit here you should have a training plan or if you work with a coach you get the your individual training plan and let's say that your hrv is uh, is good in in a good a positive range every single day then you don't do any changes then you just follow the plan but uh, if you have like uh, on one particular day for example uh, a low hrv that is uh, below a certain threshold then you might need to adjust if you have a hard workout scheduled for that day and, and not do that workout it, that's uh, are those some of the main takeaways from what you just described yeah, yeah, I would I would say so. Other ways, you know, you can as as you had done before here, uh, E uses a lot, for example, the, the baseline, looking at, you know, how you are not so let's say not specifically at the day to day basis, but how more in general you are adapting to a, a specific training block, say a week or a cycle of two, three weeks. Uh, it looks for adaptations in there, positive positive adaptations, which are typ- typically reflected as increases in baseline HRV during that period. And if he doesn't see that, you know, you would implement some changes that, or question um, why, you know, that was not the case and what has changed in, uh, in the particular sessions that you have scheduled with your athlete. So making changes also at that level, I think, a lot of this depends also on the athletes you work with. Um, for example, for elite athletes, you know, uh, training like one, two hours per day is the bare minimum, right? Um, and their HRV is also much higher normally, the baseline HRV. So there is more room for, for variability. And for these athletes, I think what Dan has seen uh, and documented a lot of in his work is that typically what's the so the more useful piece of information is this baseline change while i think that for um recreational athletes or people that you know train much less have even maybe days off in their week detraining stimulus is already a big stressor is already much bigger than you know their normal baseline stress and therefore day-to-day values can also be 
used a bit more uh, closely, let's say, for uh, for feedback. This is something I see, for example, in, in my data as a, an average runner, I see that you know, big sessions have quite significant impact on the following day's HRV. And you can always use baseline changes as, uh, you know, they're certainly the most meaningful changes because they simply remove a little of the noise, right? You look at things a bit from a, from a higher level. But then if you look at day-to-day variation, is a bit more actionable, especially for people getting started. And I think you, you can find a lot of use in that, um, especially for, for the non-elite athletes. That, that's good that was actually my next question will have been your take on using the day-to-day hrv versus the baseline and to clarify baseline here it's the seven-day rolling average of hrv that we we're usually looking at when we talk about baseline is that correct exactly that's uh, that's how we compute it normally a week moving average is uh, quite representative of the you know underlying physiological stress and how you would be adapting to your training cycle and you know a bit a bit higher level yeah and and that's all available also in hrv for training you can look at your baseline i'm looking at my hrv for training app right now so it's not something that uh, you have to create your own spreadsheets for or or anything like that but i I want to talk a little bit more about that baseline because uh, i've personally never seen even in blocks of training when i feel that i responded very well my performance has been improving i've never seen my my baseline go up in my <laughs> hrv what, what do you think why is that i think in general when we look at physiology um we need to take a bit of a different approach with respect to the one uh, that is you know the basic approach would be higher is better right uh, in many of these parameters related to estimating performance or measuring recovering all of that but it in especially with heart rate variability and in general when working with with physiology, I think that um, what we should the way we should think is that normal is good. So you know when things are normal, even they're not outside of what what is your normal, then it means that everything is going well because abnormal physiological levels values are what you should be concerned about. And as abnormal, we consider both. Uh, particularly unexpected high peaks or something that happens a bit more often are maybe lower values due to uh, increased load. So those values and, you know, reductions in baselines and things like that typically should trigger some sort of change in the plan. Uh, If you do not see the increase that Dan was talking about, but things are uh, within your normal values, I would say that's also a sign that things are, are going well. Yeah, that, that's what what I've seen in those situations. And I certainly see uh, decreases if I've done too much. So so that way it definitely works. But that just I wanted to bring that up to illustrate that uh, it's still not completely black and white. And what Dan has seen in his data doesn't necessarily apply to to everybody. It doesn't seem to yeah. apply to to me personally, yeah. for example. Even though my training load is probably closer to that of an elite athlete compared to your average triathlete with just in terms of the volume and intensity that i put in yeah uh, yeah i think uh, that's why it's important to you know collect your own data for a while uh don't implement changes right away and see how you know your physiology responds to a couple of your normal training cycles a couple of hard sessions see you know also coming back to the day-to-day or moving average see how your body responds to these sessions and if the day-to-day changes for you 
are particularly you know representative of the effort or if baseline variations are more what you should look at so collecting some data and starting looking at this individual variability then can help making you know the most out of the data Mm, yeah, that's that's good. Uh, that's a good summary. And in the day to day, if we go back to that a little bit, in and in the, in the HRV for training app in particular, uh, in HRV research in general, you use uh, usually a unit uh, called RMSSD to measure HRV, but you've simplified that, which uh, I like, to something called recovery points, which is just a number that, uh, at least for me, it usually seems to be in the nine to nine point five range but it can go even it's not a zero to ten uh, scale if i understand correctly it can go above that uh, but can you explain recovery points because it's not quite clear to me how they work and and also explain what is a good score and a bad score so basically especially as you said the recovery points was a way to make things a little simpler to understand a, a little more user-friendly because you know uh RMSSD is a value which um, reflects the B2B variability, uh, which is typically something between a few milliseconds and about 200 milliseconds in, in, the, in the general population. And especially, I would say, elite athletes get to those high values. But, you know, the regular people, maybe sedentary individuals get as average in the 20, 30 milliseconds range, which is um let's say on on the low end of our user base of course as most people interested in this are uh doing sports now that being said the recovery points uh derive entirely from rmssd meaning that the trends and the day-to-day changes everything will be the exact same as if you were looking at rmssd but it's just on a different scale so um we basically it's just you know taking the logarithm of the number which is because rmssd is not even normally distributed which means that normally we do this transformation anyway so in even in research if you look at the papers often they report the logarithm of rmssd uh we do that and then we multiply it by two just because um you know humans like numbers between zero and ten even though as you said as you pointed out that's not exactly the range this ends up being but pretty close i would say more in the 5 to 11 range um it, it's more or less what, what you get uh, but as an individual when you you know measure the first few times you will see you have a value which is your baseline and you will not deviate that much from that value because your baseline much of it depends on uh, genetics for example so while with some you know dramatic lifestyle changes for example if you have a very unhealthy lifestyle and you start, you start um, getting, you know, things uh, in the right place and doing some exercise and sleeping better and having a better diet, you can certainly make some changes in your baseline, but normally much of it is genetics. So the variations you will see on a day-to-day basis, uh, which we reflect stress and recovery, will be around what, what's your baseline when you start measuring most likely okay okay that's interesting so so there's no point for somebody who is around let's say usually seven in recovery points to try to strive for getting closer to 10 necessarily it's just about using that baseline knowledge and working with that assuming they have a fairly healthy lifestyle and and then yeah i mean you can from there i'd say you can aim from for some small changes for sure there can be some improvements um but you know uh the for example the improvement you mentioned for example that I would say it's 
borderline impossible. It's just, you know, that high variability, I think you just cannot get there with lifestyle changes, but you can always try for, you know, little improvements. Um, what, what I normally say to explain this difference, for example, in the context of heart rate, um, it's quite clear that a lower heart rate reflects uh, higher fitness level. And, you know, especially if you take someone who is uh, not training much and you go through some decent training program, you will see uh, almost certainly a reduction in uh, resting heart rate. But you will not necessarily see an increase in HRV. I think HRV is better used as this continuous feedback loop that helps you, you know, uh, assessing recovering and making adjustments more than as an overall marker of fitness. There is a relation, of course, also with fitness, but it's very weak. So I would use it differently. But uh, you did say that elite athletes generally have higher. So uh, can you clarify that? I would say in general, but that does not mean that there is a strong relationship. For example, you can have fantastic athletes which have lower baselines and you can have people with higher baselines and uh, no particular, you know, athletic talent. So for certain parameters, that's impossible, right? So you, for example, if you measure, I don't know, VO2 max and you take, you know, sedentary individuals, they will have a low value, right? And then if you take elite athletes, they will have a high value. There is like no confusion in there. While if you take array variability, you know, you could get some people mixed up. So it's not that uh, of a strong relationship between the two, even though typically elite athletes tend to have um, a higher value. Okay, okay, got it. So one question that uh, it's actually one one of my most important questions for today, because this is something that I've personally been been wondering about, is uh, is there a potential of uh, you, for example, having a, a lower lower than baseline HRV one day, and you had a a hard training session scheduled and you decide to not do it uh, is there is there a potential that you may be holding yourself back unnecessarily if you follow hrv to make these changes so um i'll uh, i'll answer first with a study that was published recently which is very interesting where they um they put runners through a, a training program before a 10k and then they had uh, just one group basically skipping these hard sessions when their HRV baseline was below, uh, I think either below their normal values or simply training negatively. Uh, so they would just not even do that session another day. You know, it would just be one less intense session. Um, and eventually this group performed better than the control group that trained, you know, doing the typical workouts they would have done also eventually more high intensity sessions which uh you know says that in general the fact that the other group rested when they were simply not physiologically ready to take possibly that kind of load uh made them perform better in the long term so that was interesting um very interesting in general uh it's it's oddly the case i would say so you know people tend just to go too hard too often. Even just doing a good switch towards a polarized, pola, polarized training is, is typically hard, for, especially for recreational athletes, you know, spending that much time at, at low intensities. 
Um, I think HRV can be a way to get a little more aware about your body's response in general, uh, about the intensities that, that you should be keeping, um, holding back a bit too often. I think it's not really the main problem. Um, especially because, you know, this low values being lower than your normal. Statistically speaking, it's not something that can happen too often, right? Because you take a margin which, uh, by definition, is unlikely to be to be where your daily score is. So I wouldn't say that that's been something of a concern. Unless you start to gradually get your baseline down as well. But that's, I guess, why you should also monitor that to make sure that you don't have the, those long-term changes in, the, in that case, maybe maybe assess if you need to make changes to your program. Yeah, true. There is always a trade-off, you know, between uh, also how big is this window of normal values? And, and you know, because if you take a, a very long window, you might be able to understand better when baseline changes are um outside of your normal due to you know some major stressors months over months uh but if you take it you know that long then you might also miss some physiological adaptations and get stuck into what you were considering your normal a long time ago so there are some trade-offs there and eventually what we decided uh was a good was a good way to do this was to use the past 60 days so that's what the app does we use the past two months to understand what's your normal physiological variability. And then in that way, on a day-to-day basis, we look where's your score with respect to the past two months uh, variability and to, to determine you know, if, it's, if stress is significantly higher or not uh, and then provide advice that way. And I think that that's a decent trade-off because you can keep into account you know, acute changes on a very short term, but also things happening over a couple of weeks, which can be the case if, you know, there are some other major stressors, which are not just intense workouts, but, you know, anything happening, work, family, traveling, all sorts of things that can have a, a long lasting effect on your physiology, mm, or get yeah. sick, you know, all sorts of things, yeah. Yeah. And you mentioned there that study that they skipped the workout completely. Uh, are there any guidelines uh, that we can give as for whether to replace a hard workout with uh, with just an easy workout or skip a workout completely? Yeah, um, I, I think that what they skipped was the hard session, but probably they kept a low intensity one. Um, in general, uh, my understanding is that you would just reduce the intensity. So uh, depending on what's the athlete history, you you can have you know just a easier session, not necessarily rest. Okay, okay, yeah, that's uh, good, good and actionable advice. Uh, so uh, let's talk a little bit about uh, some additional insights that uh, are available in the HRV for training app, and uh, some of the most interesting ones, I think at least, are the ones that are specifically HRV related. So the acute changes and the HRV trends. Can you tell us a little bit more about these and maybe if there are other insights that you consider uh, the most useful for athletes and how specifically the the listeners can benefit from those? So the um, HRV trends, uh, I think indeed is one of the more interesting insights because in there uh, we take an approach in which we do not look 
only at your uh, HRV score, but we look at you know how heart rate has been changing in the past two weeks. Again, with respect to what's your history, your past two months, your normal variability. Uh, we look at heart rate, we look at heart rate variability, we look at the coefficient of variation of heart rate variability. So basically, how much day-to-day jumping you have, you know, if you have a certain baseline, you could have pretty much that same value every day, or you could have your data going up and down and averaging at that same value, right? So the coefficient of variation tells us something about this difference. And what has been shown typically is that you have a bit less jumping around when you respond well to a certain training block. So that information together with heart rate, heart rate variability, um, as well as, of course, context, for example, simply how much you're training with respect to the previous weeks, is something that we use to try to determine what's um, your, uh, basically how well you're coping to the current training block if things are going well or if there is some risk for you know accumulating fatigue or maladaptation to training so i think that's one of the more interesting insights because you know you do not rely only a single on a single parameter um but you try to look a bit at at more things then there's other insights um more specific maybe for runners or cyclists for example to estimate vo2 max or lactate thresholds um without you know requiring specific tests but just from workouts as you have now in in some other uh, platforms or, or sport watches that's something we've done um as part of my research during my phd and then later also uh with hrv for training you know using data to try to determine what parameters are more representative of these um let's say predictors of performance so that you know people can track uh, how things are going as they train and, and use that also as feedback other things um again around polarized training and training intensity distribution um training load training load uh, there is you know standard chronic and acute training load models uh with the web platform that we just launched i think we tried to do some work on top of what is the typical output you have so that it's a bit easier to understand what's you know freshness or injury risk in in the in a, in a certain week given you know what you've been doing in the recent past uh trying to you know get those things a bit more actionable with respect to to what you have in other places perfect yeah that's that's a good summary and and i think we'll we'll link to some uh, some articles on your website so people can get uh, an overview and some uh, some screenshots and images that show these things as well because you have some some good uh, some good articles that that showcase these these things there on hrefortraining.com so so that will all be linked to in the in the show notes uh and uh, and one one thing that i want to clarify with the hrv trends is that uh, if it wasn't clear that that you actually have the the user doesn't have to themselves go and make all sorts of interpretations from raw numbers, but you actually give some specific advice, like a detect, detected trend, I think it's called, and yeah, exactly. uh, and tell the tell the user basically that you're trending positively or you seem to be responding well to training, and and vice versa if uh, the numbers show show the opposite. Exactly. Okay, so one other question that I had is uh, a good workflow for athletes and coaches that work together uh, and uh, how they can use HRV in, in the training. What uh, What's your take on that? 
So I think uh, in general, uh, the way I would start with this, uh, you know, again, is just to start measuring, uh, collecting some data, trying to understand how an athlete responds to, you know, certain specific sessions as well as longer term training cycles. Uh, and then based on the plan you have, the individual plan you've built with your coach and the response of the athlete to certain sessions, start to seeing if you can make certain changes, start to see if these variations in physiology and, you know, the results you get in terms of recovery um, make sense for, for what you see also in terms of uh, adaptation and performance. If you see indeed that uh, things are not trending particularly well, when uh, uh, the athlete maybe failed to, you know, reach the, um, the, the state that you thought was going to be reached given the training stimulus. Uh, all of that, I would say, can be a way to, to start using this information and include it in the training plan so that you can eventually truly individualize the plan to a person's specific response to, to the stimulus. Eventually, what you want is always, you know, to apply a certain stimulus, stressor, training, uh, and then have an adaptation and improve eventually performance and reach the goal you set for that person. And having this objective feedback of recovery and of physiological stress can help you, uh, you know, keeping that feedback loop close and, and tuning things um, in an optimal way. Yeah, and and one uh, very useful feature that you have is that uh, uh, the user can sync HRV for training with training peaks, so so that the HRV values become visible for for the coach, so they can follow. And you also have a pro version of the app uh, for for coaches. So can you take a, yeah, a few exactly. quick sentences to describe that? Yeah, so we launched just uh, last month actually this web platform. So as a coach, you know you can have. Uh, you can add your athletes and have your athletes data in there, see some of these visualizations also in a bit of a, a better and nicer way, I would say, just because, you know, there is more space on a computer. Uh, we built in there uh, several things that try, again, to abstract a little more this day-to-day variability and get you to understand, um, you know, the big picture and see how physiology is trending in general with respect to training. Um, all this story about, you know, the two months normal data and how your baseline is going. Uh, that's pretty clear in the web platform. You have, you know, a nice range of values and you see where your athlete is at at a certain time. Um, so it's uh, easier than to to make adjustments and, you know, to act on this data. Perfect. And uh, you mentioned one interesting study there, a recent study. What else is going on in HRV research at the moment? Are there any uh, interesting other re- in- interesting recent findings or, or trends that we should be aware of? So um, let's say that now it's easier to measure uh, thanks to the technology that has been developed in the past few years. So there's a lot of research going on, uh, I would say, both on elite athletes and in recreational ones things that, you know, aim at taking things from the lab to real life, larger populations see um, how the different parameters interact with each other so that you can understand better, you know, physiological responses to training in the case of athletes and how to optimize things in the long term. One aspect that that I like that is the research uh, that is Sean Williams is doing. Um, He looks at training load and HRV. 
uh, a bit differently from others, meaning that, you know, all these models for training load analysis and freshness and injury risk that we also have, um, they typically are based on training impulse. So, you know, the basic unit of information is in training peaks would be TSS. So your uh, workout summary in terms of intensity and volume. Um, and that information does not necessarily link to how your body has responded to that session. Uh, so all these models do not really take into account the physiology of the athlete. So what Sean is doing is to look at training load um, and HRV at the same time, uh, both in these standard models, but also uh, you know, looking at how these parameters change with respect to injury risk. So one of the insights that he had in, in his last paper was that um, a negative trend in HRV or a high acute to chronic training load, which is also a sign, you know, one of the red flags for injury risk uh, taken by, you know, by, by themselves were not predictive of injury, actual injury. But when you had them together, then you had a much higher likely, likelihood that the athlete would eventually get injured. So, you know, combining the acute chronic training load, so basically how much load you put recently with respect to uh, what you're normally used to take, together with your own physiological response to that training load was predictive of injury more than, you know, any other parameter taken isolated or uh, or positive trends. So I think that's that's good information, something that could also be... Uh, possibly extrapolated to you know other sports or uh, different conditions something to to investigate this was a, a small study and was also in crossfit athletes so this is different from you know the endurance world uh, but i think you know the the findings make a lot of sense right so you look at acute and chronic load and you look at how your body has responded and a negative combination of these two parameters uh it's not a good thing so uh, you know, looking forward to seeing more of this uh, of this kind of work. Yeah, that that is extremely fascinating, and and it uh, intuitively makes a lot of sense that the two together would be much more beneficial than than training stress score alone. I, I have, uh, I think it's a it's a good tool to use, but but I also have my criticism of training stress score, and and definitely encourage any athlete not to uh, take it as gospel because if you just look at an example like a let's say you're doing 30 second uh, run intervals like so you do 10 of them and with quite long recovery but you do them all out the the training stress score in training peaks or when you calculate it with the the standard model based on the banister model it's very low for something like that just because the duration is so so low of those sprints the, the high intensity but but the reaction of your body can be very very different and especially for athletes that are more aerobic slow twitch that that can be uh, quite a significant impact and that's something that maybe with with hrv together with the training stress score you would be able to to see and training stress score itself would would not be able to detect something like that yeah exactly i think uh, you know it's key especially in these things to try to put together you know all the different pieces and then uh, uh, you know gain some real insights instead of blindly following just one or the other yeah yeah so what does the future hold for, for HRV in general, do you think, and for, for HRV for training in particular? So I think, uh, you know, in the past, I would say, five years, there's been, like, 
a huge amount of work in making these things more user-friendly and practical. You know, we have our camera-based measurement. Others have other sensors that are not just traps, which are still very convenient to use in the morning. It's it's now easy to use, and there is many more people doing it, which I think is great because it's bringing more awareness. There is, you know, courses that Jason has put together at Elite HRV. So the, the course is HRV course, I think. Um, something that I would also recommend checking out. It's you know, hrvcourse.com. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There is more information. There is more awareness uh, that it makes sense to measure your physiology and how your body is responding to the different stressors. I think what's next is to make it a bit easier also to interpret this data. It can be still a bit overwhelming and confusing. So, you know, step by step trying to get there. Um, in in our work with HRV for training, I think the next steps are towards planning a little more, you know, so providing or helping, you know, advanced athletes and coaches, you know, providing an infrastructure where they can build things and um, training plans and follow their athletes and easily adjust things based on actual physiological responses. That That's, I think, where we are going to try to go in the next year. That, that's exciting. And, and I have to give you a, a lot of credit for what you've done already with HRE for Training. I think it's a brilliant app. And the thing that you mentioned about interpreting the, the raw data you've from when I first downloaded HRE for training and started using it it's uh, it's come a long way in terms of giving you those uh, that feedback and and explaining what uh, what your measurements actually mean and how you can potentially interpret them to to make it more user friendly and, and actionable so so kudos Thanks for that that's uh, that's great <laughs> that's nice to hear <laughs> for people who want to learn more this episode has uh, been uh, Quite uh, quite uh, technical, although we try to to distill it to to the main takeaways and the the important practical points. But uh, you have a lot of good resources on your website that can help explain these things further. What would be your top picks in terms of articles or other resources that you have for the interested listener to go and check out? So I would go with um, with one on uh, the physiological underpinning of HRV. I'd say you know. You don't need to get a PhD on the topic, but I think it's important here to understand that uh, there is no magic or fad, right? It's, you know, measure, measuring parasympathetic activity. The processes, physiologically speaking, are very clear. Um, so I, I have a couple of resources where we try to cover these in a way that is more or less understandable. And then, you know, you can get a little more confidence uh, about what you're doing and what you're measuring if, if you understand a little more about um, what, what is actually being measured and, and how that relates to training or other forms of stress. So I start there. Um, another one, which is key, uh, you know, we talked a lot here about measuring HRV and taking for granted a lot, uh, in particular around best practices. Uh, you know, physiology changes continuously throughout the day due to all sorts of acute stressors from, you know, having coffee to, light physical activity, moving around, reading things online and getting upset, all sorts of factors will have an impact on your physiology. So it makes really no sense to measure your HRV throughout the day, for example, because you will just have you know a reflection of those stressors. What you want to measure is your underlying chronic physiological stress. That's why the app should be used first thing in the morning. There are a couple of other things, you know, trying to stay consistent in terms of body position and daily routine when you measure morning routine at least um so those kind of things i think 
uh, are also important to to highlight for someone that that started with this with these things and uh, and tries to collect data that will actually you know make sense and lead to useful insights. Um, yeah, I think those are are two good ones. Maybe one on uh, what to do when you when you get some of the data, and again, you know, linking back to um, using it to to adjust your training plan, not as a replacement of it, and uh, you know, making starting with small changes and looking at you know day to day variability as well as baseline changes and uh, adaptation to specific training blocks. Okay, so so I'll ask you to to email those links to me yeah, afterwards, and, and we can we can link them up in the in the show notes and and any other thing that come to mind that we've discussed like the links to some of the papers that you mentioned with uh, with the runners and uh, with the, yeah. the the modeling and predicting 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 injuries and that those sorts of things so we can we can get get it all in into the show notes and i'll also add uh, episode 42 the interview that i did with with dan plus that also goes into uh, a bit more of the basics of HRV and uh, the physiology behind it, since that was the first HRV episode that, that I did on this podcast. So that'll also be in the show notes. So Perfect. let's move into the rapid fire questions. And uh, these ones are very short and fast. So take absolutely no more than 15 seconds to answer mm-hmm. these, starting with what's your favorite book, blog, or resource related to endurance sports or to your field of expertise in general? Um, I would say for endurance sports, or running in particular, um, the science of running is something I I tend to get back to like once in a while. There is a lot of very good content there. Uh, the author is Magnus. Um, you know, if you are self coached athlete or even coaches, it's a great resource. Bit technical, but you know that's the point. Yeah, Steve Magnus will link to that, and I agree. It's a good, really good one. Uh, what's a personal habit that's helped you achieve success? um planning definitely being well organized you know consistency not procrastinating ever <laughs> that's it and what do you wish you had known or wish you had done differently at some point in your career uh i don't know related to sports maybe uh you know as, as much as now i try to preach listening to your body i haven't done that that much at the beginning uh they all you know polarized training and HRV came to me a bit late, which brought significant improvements. But, you know, it would have been, I think, valuable to start much earlier. Yeah. Okay. Thank you so much, uh, Marco. We'll link to your website, your personal and uh, HRV's website and uh, all the social media. But it's all at hrvfortraining.com and hrvfortraining on, on Facebook and Instagram, I think. so. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Easy to find. Okay, perfect. Thank you so much for coming on. It was a pleasure having you. Thank you. Okay, so I really hope that you enjoyed that interview. I found it one of the most fascinating discussions that I've had in a long, long time, actually. I, I'm really, really eager to dive into my HRV data even more now that I talked with Marco. I am a user of HRV for training. I use it every single morning. And that is actually my first main takeaway from this interview. Uh, If you gather data consistently and in a consistent manner, like do it first thing in the morning in the same position, whether it's lying down or sitting up, 
then that's when you get to really know know yourself, your individual baseline, your normal values. And that's how you can get a feel for what effect various things like hard training sessions, lack of sleep, etc. may have on your HRV. So the more you do this, the more consistently you do this, the more you'll start to benefit from HRV. It's like the compound effect in this way. You, you get more and more benefit from it the more you do it in, in a good and consistent manner. The second important takeaway is that you need to have a good training plan. HRV is not a replacement for that by any means. Uh, if you have that training plan and you measure HRV and everything is in the green in terms of HRV, then just keep following the plan. It's not licensed to go out and uh, add additional hard workouts to your plan. You should just follow the plan as is. However, if HRV is in the red below your normal values, then that's when you can use it to adjust your training to get more benefit from it. That's uh, an example of a day when you might replace that hard session with an easy one and maybe come back to the hard session the next day. And I had a personal example of this when I was, I'm in Finland right now. And when I was traveling, the traveling from Lisbon to where my family lives in Finland, it's a long, hard travel. I fly to Stockholm and then I take this time, actually, since I brought my bike, I had to take a taxi for one hour or so. It was an expensive, it's my, my most expensive taxi ride. Probably I paid more for this one taxi ride than I paid for taxis in my entire 28 year long life up until this point, I think. Anyway, I took the taxi to the, to the harbor to get my bike there and then the ferry to get to the island off the coast of Finland, which is actually more off the coast, coast of Sweden now that I think of it, geographically speaking, but it belongs to Finland. So that's my travel. It takes the entire day. It's uh, faster to get to Rio de Janeiro from Lisbon than it is to get to where I, my family lives. And uh, the next morning, my HRV was very much in the red. I was exhausted. So I did not do the hard run that I had scheduled. And I pushed it forward to the next day when I had a brilliant run instead. The, the day after the travel, I just chose to do an easy run. And a 40-minute easy run rather than a, an hour and 15 minutes of... Uh, 20 minutes uh, super hard well sorry one 20 times one minute super hard one minute easy so there you have a practical example uh, that's uh, can may can maybe be illustrative for you my final takeaway is that uh, when you use an app like hrv for training it really makes it so much easier to make interpretations of the data as the app actually does it for you hrv for training does anyway i'm not really familiar with other apps and as you heard, I know that there are a lot of systems, apps, softwares that try to do interpretations on all sorts of things. Some of them are good, some of them are very bad and try to overinterpret or analyze things. I think, in my opinion, and again, this comes from an engineering background as well, I think HRV for training does a brilliant job with this. It's not overinterpreting and uh, overanalyzing your data. It gives advice that that is solid it's based on solid evidence and great expertise but it doesn't try to try to force you and pigeonhole you into one particular narrow solution for a certain hrv or whatever it might be able to do if it was poorly designed and uh, poorly i guess planned in the first place and that is one of the main reasons that I love HRV for training. It really helps me interpret the data and uh, that evidence base and uh, the expertise and also having Marco be a, a runner himself is one of the main reasons why I think it works so well and why I invited Marco on the show in the first place. 
So we'll have a lot of articles uh, linked to in the show notes as we talked about. And uh, they will also be linked to in the episode description. You can find the show notes as usual on thattriathlonshow.com or go directly to scientifictriathlon.com forward slash TTS144. If you have questions or comments, leave them at the bottom of that show notes page and I will get back to you there. In the next episode, we have an age group case study with uh, Swedish superfast age grouper, world-class age grouper, Carl Brümer, who is 49 years old and one of the best in the world in his age group, among other other accomplishments he has placed fourth in kona in his age group he has won the uh, ironman south africa this year and he has placed third in frankfurt and uh, gone sub nine several times and the funny thing is or the interesting thing is is that he does this on a very low training volume he did 852 his best ironman time ever on uh, usually eight hours per week of training last year if i recall correctly something crazy low like that and we go into how he does that in this next episode, next Monday, in this case study. And also a quick house cleaning item. The giveaway is now finished by the time you listen to this, but it's not finished by the time I record this. So the winners will be announced via email as soon as I draw them, which will be, uh, which will have happened or will happen within a day or so of you listening to it if you listen as this episode comes out. But on the podcast, I will probably announce it only in episode 146 because I have also recorded episode 145 in advance. Big thanks to our sponsors, Roka, that you can find on roka.com. I think that one of the best ways to become better in the sport of triathlon is to emulate what the best are doing. And uh, many of the best are really using Roka. We have Mario Mola, Xavier Gomez, we have Gwen Jorgensen and Lucy Charles and all sorts of other top athletes in triathlon and outside of triathlon, in cycling, in open water swimming, many different endurance sports. So check out Roka and use the promo code that's Triathlon Show, all one word, all caps, to get 20% off your entire order. And big thank you to Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. They have a fantastic blog if you want to learn more in-depth things about hydration and electrolytes, how to use them, how to apply them in certain specific circumstances that may apply to you. There's a ton of great content there, so I highly recommend you visit. It's uh, right under Hydration Advice on their website precisionhydration.com and of course while you're there if you find that you need to pick up some more electrolytes you still have a few days left this week specifically because this is an august only promo to pick up some more electrolytes with the promo code tts20 for 20 percent of your entire order thank you as always for listening keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.